Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church and School right here in the heart of Chicago. I pray that you find hope and peace in the message of Christ and Him crucified for you in your life right now. Thank you for listening. And please, if you'd like to support the mission going on right here, uh, please go to our webpage, stjames-lutheran.org to donate. Thank you. He is risen. Hallelujah. A little peekaboo. A fun game. Uh, Joel, you playing peekaboo back there with that, right? You play that game. It's cheap. It's an easy game with your kid. You can entertain your kids for a long time, right? What's funny about this picture is, you know, you do it yourself with kids, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, where are you, peekaboo? But then they start doing it, and it is funny because they actually think like their eyes are closed and everyone's gone. And it's actually true. Even though it's a fun game to play, keep a kid entertained for a long time until you can't, (laughs) it teaches object permanence. So when you're playing this game, you're being a really good parent by teaching a really important lesson of object permanence. Have you learned it yet? What What they're learning is just because you don't see something doesn't mean it's not there. And we've discovered like the first couple of months of a child's life, they don't know that. So something is removed and it's gone forever. And it freaks them out, which it probably would would you too. You know what I mean? Like the whole universe just changed when that thing is missing. And connected to that a little bit is like when the parent leaves the room learning, they're not gone. They still exist, even though you don't see it. Does God play peekaboo with you? Do you ever wonder, has God left the room? Is he gone forever? Are there times in your life when it feels like he's not around? In fact, it seems like he is gone. I think we need to learn object permanence too, don't we? The disciples uh, Luke talks about in chapter 24 needed to learn it as well. Luke tells us that they are walking back from Jerusalem. It is Sunday. They have been through a lot. Everyone is walking back, to be honest. They all came to Jerusalem for the Passover. So it's a big festival. And now people are walking back. And uh, you'd have, just like today, we have our highways and roads packed full of cars. Well, you didn't have cars, but you would have well-trodden roads that people would be walking on or riding a horse on or a camel, etc. And these two are doing that. It's kind of like the last day of Lollapalooza and you can't get everyone's leaving the fairgrounds. That's what's happening. So they're walking back and they are arguing or debating about what had happened. And a lot had happened, right? And so I don't know if it sounds like they're kind of getting an animate uh, conversation with one another about all these things. And Luke tells us that Jesus approached them and walked with them. And it wouldn't be strange because there's people walking all over the place. It's not totally weird, but he kind of came up toward them, but 
their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Which I think it reads that, but also I think it's kind of like they don't even want to see him. They're so confused about who Jesus is. They're so confused about who God is. It's been such a strange week that I think in a sense they're like this little baby. Their hands are over their eyes themselves from seeing Jesus because what they witnessed was so weird from what they expected. Does that make sense? And so they're walking and Jesus comes up to them and I love what he asks. He says, he says, uh, What's this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stopped. They stood still. They looked down. And one of them says this. This is hilarious. Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there these last days? What's ironic about that? He is the only person in Jerusalem that really knows what happened. You're like, he was there, you know? How beautiful this is. Luke, he lets this speak because it's so beautifully ironic, because that's the human condition. Irony, actually. And so Jesus says this, well, what things, you know? Huh, you tell me, because I kind of got nails in my hands. You know what I mean? Like, I'm really aware as to what happened these last couple of days. So he says, what things happened? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God, and all the people, and our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and even crucified him. And now it's been three days. And apparently some of our, the women in our company went to the tomb this morning and they didn't find the body and they saw a vision of angels. Uh, but uh, Peter and some of our other friends, they went and they didn't find the body. It was empty, but they didn't see Jesus. They're despondent. What are they despondent about? What are they not seeing? What are they blind to? When it comes to the strangeness of God, who God is and who the Messiah is, what blows their mind? The crucifixion. That just totally clouded their brain. Object permanence, not learned. How could God be on a cross? And then Jesus does this. He doesn't reveal himself yet. He says this. You, I mean, he might have said worse language, by the way, but the nice biblical language, oh, foolish ones. Maybe you'd say something else. I think actually in Greek, I think it's moroni. So, morons? No. Uh, he very likely could have said that, but maybe not with the way that we use the word moron for. And he goes, so, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And then listen to this. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer all things before he goes into his glory? So the cross was not a mistake. It's not a blip. It's not a necessary evil in the sense of like a little happy accident. It's necessary. It's not strange to God, but it's the very essence of who God is. This is very important. The center of who God is is the cross. Jesus says, and then Luke tells us that he went from Moses throughout the prophets and taught them this. In other words, this is not even a new idea. 
This is in the Old Testament. This is in our scriptures. Why do you have your hands over your eyes when you see the cross? This is, this is a big deal. Because for them, when they saw the cross, it didn't look like God. It looked like failure. It looked like a loser. It looked like defeat, death, the end, right? All their hopes are gone. God was gone forever when they looked at that cross. They need to learn object permanence with this little peekaboo game. So Jesus teaches them this, and he's teaching you this too. But don't look away from the cross. God is there in suffering. God is there dying for you. In fact, the cross is the greatest act of love God has ever done. I mean, it's not just sort of like the the backside of the coin. This is the essence of God. He's not gone in any way. In fact, he is so present in humanity and in this universe that he's in our very suffering. Don't look away. Look right at that cross. Peekaboo. So they're learning this. Luke tells us that it's getting a little later. They came to the place where these two disciples were. And um, uh, they draw near the village. And uh, one of them says, hey, it's getting late. Come and stay with us. And I love this because I wonder if the strangeness of the reality in which they were living, the sense of God is gone and hope is gone, and I didn't understand any of this. I wonder if they were starting to get it and their eyes were sort of opening up and the unfamiliar started becoming a little familiar as this stranger talked to them about who the Messiah is. So much so that they wanted him to stay with them. You just, and I wonder if it was just purely out of comfort. You know what you're talking about. You're making sense of this senselessness we witnessed. Stay with us. We need a little more. So Jesus comes in the house. Now back then and probably today, you have a guest come in the house. They don't start making dinner for you and leading the whole meal. You know what I mean? And he'd never even been there before, you know? Well, I, when I go to my parents' house, I think my parents are probably watching, I immediately go to the refrigerator, by the way. So I, that is true. Do you still do that? I, no matter how old you are, you go to your parents' house, and you're like, uh, what's in the refrigerator? Anyhow, you wouldn't do this to like strangers. So Jesus comes in, but Luke tells us this. He took the bread, and they sat down. And he blessed it and prayed and broke it. And what happened? They recognized Jesus in the breaking of bread. Jesus, the last thing he said at the Last Supper was, I will not drink of this again until the kingdom of God comes. It has come. And they recognized it in holy communion that evening. Peekaboo. There is God. And they got to see the resurrection.
You can't see the resurrection, first of all, unless God opens your eyes to it. But you can't see the resurrection until you see the cross. Because that is God. If you only see the resurrection, you're not getting it. You're still blind. But when you see the cross, where your sins are forgiven, where God loves you to death, and that he is not a stranger to suffering or to your suffering, but he's right there, then you can see the resurrection. And these two, finally, the strangeness of God became knowable to them. They got it. That this Messiah, this God is not just a God of good times and victory, but he is the God for the suffering. And he's the God for the sinner. And what do they do? He vanished. They went back to Jerusalem. And what did they say? We He appeared to us in the breaking of bread. And it changed their route, didn't it? They were leaving. They were sad. They didn't get it. And God was gone. And now they've learned he's not gone at all. That's him on the cross. That's him in the empty tomb. That's him in your suffering. And that's him in your sins. He is not gone. And just because you suffer or because you sin or because you feel down doesn't mean God's gone either. And we got to learn that too, don't we? Object permanence doesn't look like he's here because things aren't going like we want them to go. But sometimes we need to learn he is there. In fact, in fact, sometimes he is more there and more present in the worst of our times than in the good ones. What I love about this story, too, is that Jesus doesn't let these babies leave who have not learned object permanence. They're leaving despondent. They're leaving not believing. They're leaving thinking God is strange. Jesus comes after them on a Sunday, chases them down, gently converses with them, reads them Scripture, and has communion with them and appears to them, strengthens their faith, teaches them that I'm here with you, and they return to life. You are those disciples. Every week I think we walk away from Jerusalem or the world takes us away, and we find ourselves in situations where God seems strange because things aren't working out. I'm not supposed to be in this situation. Or I keep on falling down in sin. Whatever it is. And we can start putting our hands over our eyes and not seeing God because we only want to see great things happen in our life. And every Sunday, he brings us together, teaches us through his word, and gives us and breaks the bread and gives us the body and blood and opens your eyes to see he's not gone. He's right here forgiving you of your sins, raising you up right here in your suffering and right here in your victories. In Jesus' name, amen.